Welcome to season four of the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. This season, you will hear even more personal stories from families who have been where you are today. Some of the stories you will hear will provide you with important advice from medical professionals like case managers and high-risk OBGYNs. You will also hear advice about opportunities you can take to focus on self-care and more. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Today is a Good Day podcast wherever you enjoy your podcast or share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. Advocating for yourself and your baby can be challenging in the hospital. Feeling intimidated by the medical terminology and the equipment is understandable. The large team of doctors and nurses caring for your baby can be overwhelming. Today, we will discuss best practices for you to speak up and be a part of the care team for your baby. We will also hear about our guest's personal journey as a caregiver. Today's guest is Dwight McBee, Senior Vice President, Chief Experience Officer, and Internal Health Equity Officer at Jefferson Health. In this role, Dwight has responsibility for managing the strategic priorities for the patient experience across the Jefferson Health System and has the responsibility of establishing the structures, processes, and partnerships that build trust between patients, families, and caregivers. In his prior role, Dwight served for four years as the Vice President and Chief Experience Officer for Temple University Health System, overseeing strategy and operations for the Offices of Patient and Community Experience, Food and Nutrition Services, and Employee Health Services. In Dwight's early career as a critical care nurse at Atlantic Care Health System in Atlantic City, New Jersey, he successfully led various leadership roles in the journey to achieving the 2009 Malcolm Baldridge Quality Award. He led innovations in satisfaction, employee recognition, and equity programs in his role as corporate director. Dwight earned his Bachelor's of Science degree in nursing from Thomas Jefferson University, his MBA from Stockton University, and is certified as a patient experience professional from the Patient Experience Institute. Dwight serves as a youth mentor for the Philadelphia Collaborative for Health Equity and Temple's Tools for Success Summer Youth Program. He is a volunteer for the American Heart Association, Gift of Life Family House, and New Jersey Rett Syndrome Foundation. Dwight, welcome to the Today's a Good Day podcast. Martha, thank you for having me. Uh, wow, when I hear all that, I'm wondering, who's here? Oh. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what is going to be said here. Uh, so thank you for having me. It's a wonderful opportunity. Dwight, talk to us about what inspired you to get into this line of work. Uh, it's funny how life will just um, cause things to happen and uh, you wind up in places you never thought you would be. So um, growing up, I always had um, a, a close family. Um, I have an older brother and I had a younger sister and we were uh, one year apart, all three of us. And uh, my sister was diagnosed at a very young age with sickle cell anemia and you may have heard of it. And so very painful blood disorder. And um, there were times where we just couldn't do things because my sister was not feeling well. 
And um, I was sort of designated as the caregiver um, when my parents had to go to work and my brother was off doing big brother things. I was uh, sort of the point person for my sister's well-being. And so we were amazingly close. Uh, As time went on, uh, her condition got a lot worse and we lost her suddenly. And um, it was in that moment that I decided for a career in healthcare. And so uh, it was a natural progression for me to to go into nursing. And um, uh, sort of found my calling. I wasn't the best student coming up through high school and through college, but when I, I made the pivot to nursing, um, it, it started to make sense for me. And so, um, you know, throughout the course of time, uh, as as uh, fortune would have it, and I think some divine intervention, I kept at the craft of nursing uh, and wanted uh, to do more and more complex work. I was working in ICU, taking care of very sick patients, and um, wanted to sort of fix some of the systems that were uh, responsible for the care environment. And so I took leadership roles to help me work uh, on some of the system issues that um, uh, made it a little bit better for caregivers to do the hard work of taking care of the most vulnerable. And that that's sort of what opened the door. Um, one opportunity led to another. And uh, lo and behold, uh, nursing is one of those careers where um, if you have a desire to lead and do things innovatively, uh, there are opportunities everywhere. And so um, I've quickly found myself uh, in a space where um, now I find myself as the chief experience officer for a very large uh, academic health system. And there's lots of little points along the way that I can pull out and I'm sure we'll talk about. But it all started with um, really meeting a need in my own personal life with my sister. How incredible that her story, and thank you for sharing her story and just your background with caring for her, but how incredible that her story really led you on this path of how you have impacted so many through not only your nursing career, but I know you mentioned your title. And I have to tell you, I I do need to ask because I'm sure a lot of people hear that and say, what is a chief experience officer and what does that mean? Can you tell us a little bit? I can. Uh, So chief experience officer is a big uh, bloated title like we all have in healthcare sometimes. Uh, Nobody really knows what it means, but uh, essentially I'm responsible for every experience that takes place within the health system and uh, creating the systems, uh, the processes, the training, the approach to helping people navigate their own well-being. And so it's the entire journey from the moment you decide, I think something's going on and I'd like to get something checked out to the moment that you get discharged after your surgical procedure and you need some help figuring out um, how to take better care of yourself at home. And so everything in between, the chief experience officer uh, makes sure that we have a, a good handle on what's happening. Uh, We have good listening mechanisms, so we understand what the voice of our patients uh, are truly saying. Leaders like myself help inform senior administration on trends for some of our patients and our families. Uh, But my most important job is to engage with patients, with families, and include them in the decision-making of our care team. It's not something that comes naturally in healthcare um, because we have wonderfully trained physicians and you know expertly trained uh, technicians in our crafts. We all too often default to we are the expert in the room, and leaders like myself come in and say, you know what? Who's even more knowledgeable about their own care 
patients and their family members, right? Uh, we have our PhD in our own well-being. And so leaders like me really help create the, the communication between the voice of our patients and the, the medical team. And it's, it's ongoing work. It never stops. Well, what is so incredible about your, what you're talking about, it directly impacts what we do every day of helping families who are experiencing the NICU with babies in the NICU, the families are the ones that are really trying to be a part of that care team and to be active in taking care of their new child. You know, it's not the place that you want to start. Parenthood is delivering into the NICU. And so what you're focused on, I and I have to say, honor for me, I'm a part of the Patient Family Advisory Council for Jefferson Health for the Enterprise uh, Health System, and Dwight leads that group. But to hear the care, and as you're talking now, the care that you give to what patients and families of patients say, not only in that group, but that's what you do every day. It, it absolutely is. Um, you know, we create the space for the voice of our patients to exist within the design of care, right? And so we really work hard at making sure that when we make the very difficult decisions to change things in healthcare, because one of the things that I'm sure all of your listeners know and you know, healthcare is kind of slow to change. We're stuck in tradition. Uh, we're used to doing things a certain way. And uh, sometimes it can be tough for health systems to adapt to what's happening. And so our patients and their families really play a, an important role in helping us change much quicker and and much more accurately to what the real need is and we create these structures and and the partnership with you and our other advisors is beautiful because when we have new parents in a NICU uncertain about what's happening um, what the doctors are really saying in between the words it's so important for us to have family members that have been through a journey very similarly that can help inform the protocols that we have in place, or even better yet, serving as a consultant or someone as a just a, a friendly voice on the other end of the phone that can help people understand that they're not alone. Right. And what else are you doing to really try to make that happen within the hospital setting? It's it's ongoing work, like I said, and and first and foremost, we we you know we do a lot of measurement, right? So, in order to get the attention of anyone in the hospital setting, you do make sure that you can measure what you're doing. So we measure satisfaction levels, and we make sure that we sort of pull from the numbers what our patients are saying. So that's the probably the most important thing that we do, and that's just to get the attention, right? Just to wake people up. The second thing that we do is we strategically align with patients, with families. And it's 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 really dif difficult when you think about somebody that's going through a health crisis, right? Somebody that's maybe not feeling well themselves or they've got a chronic disease or they've got a sick baby. It's, it's not necessarily the top thing on your mind to engage with the health system and, and try to help them make better decisions. But that's where my team and myself, we come in and we start to express the value of spending time with the health system and the partnerships and, you know, giving examples of what we can do together to help the system 
learn and adapt to what the needs are. And so the work is really in cultivating those relationships. Um, it's phone calls. It's when we get um, somebody that needs something like a family meeting and to clarify something that's happening. Sometimes we meet someone along the way and we say, hey, you've got some really great ideas. Um, when the time is right, give me a call and let's sit down and figure out how we can do more of this, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you, you have worked with so many families, patients over the years in all of your different roles. Plus, you have been a caregiver, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about later as well in your own family. As a caregiver, coming into the hospital setting, it can be very intimidating. You don't know the questions you ask. You don't understand the terminology. What's the first question that family should ask? Uh, number one question is, um, what is my responsibility? What's my role in, in this, right? Because I think what our default is, is you're the expert. I'm going to just receive. And I think when we as caregivers come into the hospital and we actually want to have a role to play in the care of our loved one, it triggers our team to think about that. They might not immediately have an answer. But if they sit on that for a moment, they'll think that through. And you know what would be a great role for you is keep a close eye on the breathing pattern, right? Or, or you know, physical contact is the most important role you can have. And when we as caregivers begin to ask the clinical team, what's my, what's my place? What's my position in this care team? What role can I play in the delivery of the care of my loved one? That's uh, an, a very engaging, non-threatening and engaging way to say, I need to be included. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the number one thing that all of your listeners and all of us as caregivers should really be thinking about is nothing about me without me, mm -hmm. right? And so how do you get that conversation going? You know, wave the white flag and say, hey, listen, I know you're the expert, but I want to roll in this. What do you think? What are some of your ideas on how I can participate? You got to say that key phrase again, Dwight. Say it again. Nothing about me without me. I love that. And when I hear you talk about this, we talk a lot to families about advocating for their baby. But what I hear when you say that is you're not only advocating for your baby in the NICU, you're advocating for yourself to be an active part of that care team. And that is critical. Unfortunately, the system defaults to expertise. And I said that a couple of mm -hmm. times, but it's really important to underscore that. Healthcare is complex, right? And so it's so easy to fall into that trap. You've got the monitors, you've got IVs, you've got so much complexity, the latest medicine, and there's so much to get caught up into. And healthcare's real cure is partnerships with patients, partnerships with families, and helping uh, our clinicians understand that each patient, whether it's a baby, whether it's an adult, each patient is unique and wired differently. And the expert in the room isn't necessarily the person that has the, the big degree or is, has mm -hmm. performed thousands of procedures. The expert in the room might be sitting in plain clothes, monitoring, watching a subtle change in breathing. This, you know, he doesn't sound like that. She doesn't sound like that. Those subtle things are critical, important, critically important uh, things that our care team needs to be aware of. We're not laser focused on that. And I think family members just have a unique perspective in the room uh, that can really help augment what you know we already know from the medical side. 
Well, and adding on to that, what what are those key observations? So if you think about a family coming in, and we've had so many of these conversations over the years of families advocating for their babies or advocating for their loved ones, what is the best way for them to do that? Like they've gotten to be a part of the care team. They're doing that. Is it observation? Is it research? Is it notes? What do they do? I think every situation is a little different. And I think you leverage all the tools that you just mentioned. I think it's feeling confidence in what you know and then taking action on that. I think that's the tool I want to equip everyone with. Don't discount what you know to be truth or what you know to be your loved one's you know baseline, if you will. I think journaling is, is absolutely one of the best things you can do. If you think about everything that happens along the course of a day, an hour, especially in the NICU, you, you tend to forget your experience starts to blend together and it just, it's, it's messy, right? And so I think getting into a consistent habit of journaling, especially dates, times of when things happen, I think that can help you connect the dots a little bit differently than what the care team is doing. Um, and it might actually uh, inform the care team to do something that they might not have already thought of because of what you've sort of, you know, brought forth. And so uh, it's a it's a great non-threatening thing that anyone can do is just simply keep track of what happens, mm-hmm. who you spoke to, and and ask people, can you tell me your name? What's your title? Because in, in very busy academic medical centers, you know you've got a year one resident, then the year two resident will come in, and then somebody else, you know, the, the attending will come in, and then some consultant will come in, and you start to lose track. Um, so journaling can be a great thing to do, asking people who they are and what their role is on the team. And don't be afraid to ask for their business cards, and hopefully they have them, uh, because that's also something that's helpful, too. You might forget uh, who this doctor was, what their specialty was. So I remember we taped all of the specialist business cards for Claire in the NICU in the front of our journal. We didn't have a pocket for it, and I still open it to this day. There's about six or seven business cards that are taped into the front of oh all the people goodness. we had to connect with. Oh, my goodness. Know. Yeah. So complex. To it, it is. And speaking of those complex NICU stays, families go go through their hospital experience for us, we had an incredibly positive experience at Abington Hospital, just still are very close with many of the doctors and nurses who took care of our family during all of our journeys. But not everybody has that experience. And so a big question for you, because you are in that department that gets those calls, right? How do families, if whether they had a positive experience and want to give thanks to the team that saved their child, saved a loved one, or if they didn't have a great experience and said, you know what, I think they need to know this. They need more training in this area. Where, where do you go? A great question. Um, it's old school, believe it or not. It's, it's writing it down in a letter and sending it to the CEO. As much as I dread the eight-page letter to my CEO detailing all the things that the health system did wrong, there's really no better way to get attention to an issue. And if you're really feeling like you need to be heard, an old-fashioned letter is not really old-fashioned. It actually gets a lot of attention. Uh, What we're starting to see people do is comment on social media streams and do some things that are sort of easy access things. 
what tends to happen is um, you get a standard response and you get kind of like a cookie cutter. We hear you. Thank you for your comment. Um, we appreciate it. And sometimes even on social media, what you'll find is people don't have their real name, right? You, some people just use other names on social media. I can't mm -hmm. give you examples, but you know, yes, yes. there are people out there. Yep. So it's not always easy to connect who this patient was, who are you talking about and what's going on. So I think the best course of action, if you want to be heard after an experience is write a letter. But while you're in your experience, do not hesitate. There are typically people like me. They sometimes call them guest relations, patient relations, experience officer. There are people that have the responsibility of answering complaints. And this is, you know, regulated by the government. So people exist within every care setting that are responsible for your concern that are accountable uh, to follow up. Uh, but the trick is, even when you're in the hospital setting, put it on paper, right? If you put something on paper, that triggers a response from the health system. We have mm -hmm. to respond the same way. And, and it's always better to get your details down in writing. And do you find that if someone was in a specific department of a hospital, does it make sense to go up that stream through the hospital department or just really go to administration? When you have your loved one going through something and you, we've all been through that, I don't think there's a bad path. Right. I don't think there's a bad path. Sometimes you have to make noise. Sometimes if you don't go get what you need through one channel, you try another channel. I, I don't know if there's a script on that. I, I would I would advocate yes and. Mm -hmm. Right. That's great. You know. Good good advice for sure. Now I, I did want to ask you about your personal experience as a caregiver. I know you shared about your sister, but also with your daughter, if you'd be willing to share a little bit more oh. about your family. Well, you talk about complaints, right? That's uh, part of my journey with my daughter was really in our journey of discovery for what was going on. So my daughter was, you know, carried normally. She we had a regular term birth. Uh, she developed and hit all of her milestones till about a year and a half. And um, we had already had my older daughter who was about uh, two and a half years old. And um, my younger daughter was just not walking yet. And I said, okay, wow, she should be walking by now. It's a year and, you know, a year and a couple months. So, you know, maybe she's a late bloomer. Maybe she's a really late bloomer. So we had, um, you know, the whole battery of tests, right, that you go through and you try to figure out what's happening. And we were going to specialist after specialist. And we finally got to a pediatric neurologist, right? She is now a year and a half not walking, you know, mo doing things very slowly. We got to a pediatric neurologist and I started to explain to this physician just what we been, went through, you know, time off work, you know, trying to figure out. We went to 10 different doctors, didn't get an answer, what's going on. And the first thing that this doctor said to us, my wife and I, was don't bother saving for college. You'll spend all of your time and money navigating healthcare." And I was like, I didn't come here for college advice. Right. I came here to find out what was going on. Um, that was a really important moment for us. Um, obviously, any parent that's going through that's uh, really desperate for some hope, right? Mm -hmm. And, and um, I got the opposite of hope in that. But um, what we later found out my daughter has is a condition called Rett syndrome. Mm -hmm. And Rett syndrome's a condition that's um, it's a spontaneous genetic mutation 
um, it sits on the X chromosome, so it's it's primarily girls. Although some boys have it, they get extremely sick. But uh, my daughter does not have the ability to use her hands, um, and she does not speak. She does walk, but it you know needs a lot of help to walk. And she's 15 now, so I'm going back years here. But um, my daughter's experience, especially in that moment, um, has really you think about the things in life that shape you and bring you to where you are. We navigate care all the time. We're always navigating healthcare. And, you know, you asked me before about what are some of the reasons why you are where you are? Well, the reason why I moved from taking great care of patients as a nurse into patient experience is because of all the experiences we had with my daughter, Sienna. Uh, You start to notice the doctors that make eye contact with her, Mm -hmm. right? She's nonverbal. She's typically in a chair and you notice the doctors that take the time. They don't care about us as parents. They want to connect with her. That makes a difference for us. You know, the ones that will not afraid to touch her hand, right? Not afraid to try to engage with her and see if she'll make eye contact back. Maybe even get a laugh. Those things were huge for us. It was like, okay, I can deal with you, right? And then obviously you see the other end of the spectrum where, you know, we'll walk into a room and a doctor will say, well, um, I'll tell you what Rett syndrome is. It's X, Y, Z. You're talking to two people that understand Rett syndrome. Okay. We've Mm -hmm. been living with this for quite some time. I don't need a rundown of what Rett syndrome is. And you to sort of demonstrate to us that you know this uh, condition. So we've seen the best of healthcare and we've seen the worst, but the best far outweighs the worst. Right. And so every day I get a lesson Uh, My daughter faces the world with so much courage and grace, right? I mean, you know, she's, she just, she's very dependent on all of us, but um, she's, she runs the home for sure. Um, She can give me one sideways look and I know that I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, She has her list of movies that she enjoys. In fact, she's uh, into, I've seen thousands and thousands of Disney movies now, and I'm sure most of the people you (laughs) talk to do, Um, but I have a nervous twitch when I start to see them now because she's kind of into them. Um, But you know, it's amazing. And this is the gift that all of us as parents and your listeners have. I mean, our children are always teaching us. And um, I couldn't possibly do the work that I do without my daughter's lessons, Mm -hmm. right? Just the way that she navigates without speaking and she can connect with people just by looking at them. I've seen other children just come up to her and just start playing. And, you know, that in and itself is a lesson. I'm watching, you know, two children not able to communicate, but communicating Mm -hmm. on a wavelength that I don't fully understand, but it's working. We can do that as adults too, right? And I'm like saying to myself, wow, this is a lesson in here that somehow I've got to translate into this, you know, very busy, you know, work environment that we have here. And so, um, you know, being a parent of a special needs child is the greatest gift I can ever imagine. Uh, I can't, I can't tell you all the stories because there are too many, but I can just tell you that, um, everything that we do, especially in Jefferson health, it bubbles up from a place of real, purpose. Um, We're trying to build a system that helps support not only patients that can't help themselves, but family members. And I know you know this as well, Um, just as um, difficult and, and the bravery that you need to have as a patient, you also need that as a caregiver you know, to stand and face the storms and to, you know, navigate everything and advocate for someone that can't, it can be exhausting. And that too has informed the way that, you know, we look at this work is the caregivers are the extension of Mm -hmm. our patients. And 
the just as focused as we are on their the patient's wellness, we need to think about the caregiver's wellness because there's there's a lot there, right? And what's so important? Thank you, first of all, yeah. for sharing your story and. Um, how much Sienna has impacted your life and what you do for others. And I think a, a key thing that came out of what you were saying too, the doctor that speaks to Sienna and, and spends that extra time, we talk about this so much because mm-hmm. not only is that impacting her, but also impacting you all as parents. But the way that doctors and nurses and medical team members can just go above and beyond just a little, right? More than what a doctor might come in and just talk with you and your wife about what's going on. But just that moment of going above and beyond can make a a lifelong impact on a family. Yeah. um, You know, for our clinical team, and I say this to them all the time, you know, it's just another day. It's just another patient for you. But, you know, I've been telling that story about this doctor that we met for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, they'll remember this moment for the rest of their lives and their family members will as well. And so take great care of the words that you share, right? I don't mean to sound like Dr. Seuss, but it it really is something that we share with them. It's you have to be very careful with the way in which we package the work that we do because it's their lives. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a job for you, but it's someone's life. It's their loved one's life. And um, when we begin to then, you know, kind of package it in that way, you start to see that natural change in, you know, the interaction and practice habits. And uh, it's through repetition and and consistency we get there, but it is a journey. It is. It is a journey. And they do, the the story that we share, you, you talk about sharing your story for 15 years. We've shared since Claire left the NICU, one of her neonatologists was on the overnight shift. I had gone back to work midway through Claire's NICU journey. We would go in at five o'clock in the morning to do Claire's care before we left to go to work. And this neonatologist, who's a dear friend of ours, she came down out of the overnight room, pulled her hair back in a ponytail. She has her jacket on comes down, leans up against the shelf behind us at Claire's bedside. And we, of course, we were the only ones in the NICU at the time. She looked at us. She said, I knew the Sharkies were going to be here. And I thought, if the Sharkies are here, I can be here. And we got to spend that dedicated time just talking with her about how Claire was doing and what, what was going on with us and how we were feeling because she had been there from day one with Claire. And that moment for us has just stayed with us forever. You can't teach that, you, you know, that has to come from a pure place. Um, you can't get into this field of healthcare without having some element of that. And uh, what I found is that some people just, they're natural in that space. Mm-hmm. And then some people have it, but they've, they've forgotten it. You know, it's kind of, um, it, someone has to come and fan that flame. And so what we get in the habit of doing in healthcare is we, we try to tell as many stories as possible. And um, that's the importance of another reason why we engage with our patients and our family members as partners, because that sort of awakens things in our clinicians and it makes them understand those, those things that I used to do when I was new and I cared about and, you know, the little extra um, attention that I paid, the thoughtfulness behind uh, when I show up and how I show up, uh, that can't go away. That has to be just as important as the latest thing that I've learned. 
Um, but you know, we serve as a reminder uh, to the teams and, um, you know, now more than ever, one of the things that, you know, we've really are challenged by is, is the last three years. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been devastating to all of us. And, um, we, in this whole patient and family center care work, um, it's so tough to pull away from patients for any moment, Mm -hmm. but we have had to at moments say, we got to think about our caregivers. We got to think about the the clinicians and the care team and what do we need to, to do differently with them to help them feel stable enough, safe enough, secure enough to go out and deliver great care. And so um, there has been a subtle shift in how we, we think about the work in that we have to also think of sort of, I, I hate to say the word customers, but they're, you know, key people key stakeholders within everything that we do our care team and just as much service as we provide to all of our patients and families we've got to provide a service to them uh covid was burning people out and um still has a great potential to do that there's a lot of uncertainty in the next few months we're heading into flu season now and we simply just don't know what right. to expect uh we can we can try to mitigate against everything but the, the reality is we ought to be thinking and we are thinking about how can we take great care of people right mm-hmm. people that work in the health system people that show up for the health to the health system for care we've got to be into the people business and so as much as i talk about patient and family centered care i really am talking about human centered care and how we can broaden our, our work to be inclusive of those that, you know, may be dealing with things outside of work that we're just not aware of. And then they come to work and things get piled on top. Um, that's what COVID taught us. It, it just touched everyone. And so, um, so the work is changing, but we're absolutely um, not losing sight of the fact that healthcare needs a redesign. And we are the redesigners. You're a redesigner. Any of your listeners that, you know, partner with the care team that want to, you know, really be a part of the difference, they're redesigning healthcare and health systems like Jefferson and many others are taking uh, all of this feedback seriously and really creating real change as a result. I wanted to go back a bit and ask you, as you were talking about Sienna's journey and when you found out about her diagnosis and we're starting to go through all of the appointments and setting all of that up, what advice do you have for other families who might be looking at the same type of journey? Maybe they left the NICU and have in-home care. They're looking at extended medical care equipment. What advice do you have? First, first things first. Um, I was not prepared to hear the words rat syndrome. Now, my wife and I had sort of researched and said, you know, it could be this, you know, here are some of the symptoms of Rett syndrome, so maybe possibly worst case scenario. We were not prepared for the worst case scenario, even though we thought we were. And the moment I heard the word Rett syndrome, I couldn't hear anything else. I couldn't make sense of anything from that point on. Had it not been for the people around me, my wife, my mother, my father, uh, my wife's parents, Uh, Had it not been for them, we would not have been able to take those very first crucial steps. So I think you find your network, you find your tribe, you find your trusted people that your confidants that you can bring along with you on the journey. Um, This is, you know, this is a team sport, right? Taking great care of our, our loved ones is a team sport and we need a tribe, right? To help us through. And that's what got us through was, was, um, and, and at least in the early steps, it was the tribe. 
you also get to the point where you really need somebody else that's been through this. You just, I know people are well-meaning. We had friends that said, what did you, what do you need? Uh, how can we help? What, give us something to do. We were not short on that, but what we really needed was somebody that knew what the heck we were dealing with and had the same fears and same concerns. And so we got connected with, uh, you know, an advocacy group, um, parents that had, had similar concerns, similar, um, diagnoses as my daughter. And, you know, to certain, to a certain degree, that was, that was filling a space that wasn't filled before, you know, the tribe was great around us, but we really needed somebody that truly knew, you know, what it was like when you had the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty, you know, all the, you know, the other things that can happen to these children over the years. Um, you know, you just read when you get on the internet, and, and by the way, I would suggest you don't start mm-hmm. going on your internet journey yep. because you're not going to find a lot of good stories. You're going to find the worst case scenario. And even if it is, it's better to, to come into that naturally than to, you know, create all this unnecessary anxiety and fear. Um, so, so for us, the advocacy group supplemented and gave us connection to parents in a different way. And I think talking to another parent of a Rett syndrome child, I'll never forget, we went to our first uh, clinic and, um, you know, here, my daughter's a baby now, right? She's, you know, three years old, you know, we can still hold her with one hand, you know, and we walk into the clinic and I see, um, a, a father and another, uh, Rett syndrome girl and he's playing, uh, he's, he's passing a balloon with her and she's tapping the balloon with her hand back and forth with her dad. And she must've been 15 years old. And in that moment, I realized that you can be a father you can play with your kids it just looks different Mm -hmm. and i was just so struck in that moment like okay there's a path forward i wouldn't have gotten that you know had i just stayed in my little bubble right and so um there were moments like that and many others along the way that just make you realize i can i can go forward it might not look like everybody else and it's okay we'll figure out a way Mm -hmm. thank you Thanks for sharing that. And what you said about reliable resources, those groups, those other families, they can just be so helpful. Yeah, lifesaver. All right, my last question for you. Mm -hmm. What's a moment that made the biggest impact on you in your career helping families? Oh, my gosh. Narrow it down to one, Dwight. Come on. Okay, yeah, two seconds, go. (laughs) Uh, Gosh, I don't know. There's so many. Um, I can tell you story after story about how we walk into rooms and we think we've got it, and then we walk out after talking to our patients, and it's like we don't know anything. Um, You know, I I mean, these these are insignificant moments, okay, in the big scheme of things, but I just want to share with you, like, the profound impact it had on my understanding of how things work in healthcare. So this is a very small example, but it's real. I'm just being real. We um, spent a lot of money in one of my organizations, and I won't name names. It's not my current organization, but we, we spent a lot of money on all of these guides, right, to help our patients you know, journal and keep track of their, their, their experience within the health system. Right. And they were glossy and they were beautiful and they were just like, you know, everything that you think, you know, you should have. 
And um, I was forming my first advisory council with our patients. And I walk in the room all proud and I start handing these things out to our patients. And I say, here's what we've made for you. What do you think? And um, the, the, the shock that I had when I was rejected and they said, there's no way we can use this, this, this document. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And they started to tear it apart and tell me all the things that should change. But the thing that got me was when I come to the hospital, I need to write down on this thing, everything that's happening with me. And I can't even write on this. This is glossy. (laughs) Right. And so we threw them all out. We threw them all out. We spent thousands of dollars on this. We threw them all out. And what we came back with was a very simple, like you could print this out on at home on your home printer, a simple like one page document and you can write on it in pencil and it was wildly successful and patients raved about it and they used it for crossword puzzles. And we had, you know, all different kinds of things that we started adding to it. And it was just like such a simple thing that in my arrogance and our organizational arrogance would have never, ever thought about and it's a small moment, but it, for us in healthcare, as we think about all the things we want to do, it's pretty big because we can save ourselves a lot of heartache, mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes when we just include our patients at the right point in the journey. And so I would strongly advise anyone that has been frustrated by a healthcare experience or wants to see change, wants to be part of the change they want to see in this world, connect with people like me in the health systems. We're listening. We need to listen. We've been humbled by the fact that we haven't been good listeners. And now more than ever, after the last three years of COVID and everything being turned upside down, now more than ever, your voice is so important. I appreciate you being that for me and and so many others in our team. Oh, right back at you, Dwight. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're incredible. Really grateful for our conversation today. And thanks for all you do for so many. Well, thank you for all you do. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Life Celebration by Givnish. 